0: I'm glad you're here this morning. I, I do. I, it's in a strange way. I love these days where we come together and pretense is kind of put aside, and we're here simply because we believe and because we want to be, and I love that uh, about these days where if a person is looking for a reason not to go, they can find it, you know, and, and I know that might shock some of you if you're maybe in church for the first time, but some people in church come because they think they're just kind of supposed to, and it's what you got to do, and, you know, and man, I love when people come because they want to be here. So I'm really glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a lot of different verses in Proverbs this morning. I've challenged you through the month of January to read through the book of Proverbs. You know what chapter you're supposed to be in by what day it is in the month. And if that doesn't Uh, you know, help you in any other way. You'll know what to put on your checks if you write them that day. So Proverbs 10 uh, is what you should have been in today. And uh, if you said, well, I hadn't started, I guess I can't start. Sure you can. Start tomorrow. Proverbs 11. Join in with us. We'd love for you to. uh, Just reading to try to gain wisdom from the Lord. Now, when you look at the book of Proverbs, uh, it basically is a combination it 's kind of like a, a potluck. It throws a whole bunch of topics together and kind of scrambles them up and sometimes you get a a, a, a chapter that 's kind of got a singular flavor. sometimes you get a chapter that 's got fifty different flavors in one and so today we 're going to be looking at a lot of different chapters and learning uh, about a particular topic but But I want to encourage you study the book of Proverbs because if you want to get ahead in life, if you want to have a better marriage, if you want to get along better with people you work with, if you want to manage your business better, if you want to learn how to manage your money better, for that matter, if you want to just learn how to live your life better, Proverbs has wisdom for you. So I hope you'll read it and I hope that you will put what you learn in the book of Proverbs into practice in your life. Now as you read the book of Proverbs, one of the things that you're going to notice over and over is that there's this contrast in the book of con, uh, Proverbs between the fool and the wise person. You see the the wise man does, the fool says, the foolish man does, the, the wise person will. You see that in almost every uh, chapter in the book of Proverbs. And I think the point is simple. There's a difference between the way that godly people live and the way that ungodly people live. You know, I think that uh, maybe a New Testament way of saying that would be there's a difference between a way a saved person lives and a way a lost person lives. God comes into their life through the power of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and his resurrection. He puts his spirit within us, and then we start living different. Uh, you can tell a wise person, I, I would say even uh, 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 you should be able to tell in a Christian person a difference in how they raise their kids, a difference in how they handle their money, how they treat their wife, how they care for the poor, how, how they talk to people. Now, as you read, you begin to, to see that there are certain characteristics that the writer of Proverbs highlights over and over and over again. Uh, today, we're going to look at one of those things. He says, if you're a wise person, you have a strong work ethic. You see this about 27 to 30 times, depending on which translation you read, that a wise person works hard. You might say, well, I don't have a job. This isn't for me. No, it is for you because we all work at something. We work at, at our friendships. We work at being a student. We work at being a wife or a husband. We work as being a father, a mother, a right, even retirees. We are invested in something we all uh, have something that the Lord has set before us and whatever you have work hard. God's put it before you. Now I know I have an uphill battle today because I understand that for a lot of people work is a dirty four-letter word. You know, you know, your your first reaction when I say the word work, you go, "Ugh." Oh, oh. You know, oh man, I, very few of you are saying, "Man, I, I hope it doesn't quit snowing so I can go to work tomorrow." You know, I mean, our our students are saying, man, it's Monday. I can't wait. Very few people do that. But yet, uh, those of us who are believers should have a strong, strong uh, work ethic. Uh, A new college graduate was asked if he was looking for work, and he thought for a minute, and then he replied, well, no, but I'd like to have a job. You know, that's where a lot of us are. We, we want the pay, but we don't want the effort. Um, Dave, uh, Robert Frost said the world is full of willing people, some willing to work and the rest willing to let them. You know, and that's where work is at in a lot of people's mind. But I want to ask you this morning, which are you? Are you a person who works hard or a person who can resist work? Most of us would say that, well, we follow. I'm, a, I'm a hard worker, but here's how we define hard worker. Anybody who works as hard as me is a hard worker. And if you work harder than me, you're a nut, you know. But if you're a hard worker, you just you work as hard as I do. Well, the problem is, is it's not ours to define what hard work is and what's not. It's the Bible's to define uh, that for us, and it does. And so today, we're going to sh- look at what the Word of God says about work ethic. Now, let's start with those who don't work hard. Uh, according to the version of the Bible you use in Proverbs, you will find that person described in with one of two words. They'll either be described as a slacker or a sluggard. Okay, now a slacker, we get that term. I think at least when I was in high school and my kids still understand it. I think most of it d- do. If, if you're not doing your work, somebody say, man, come on, slacker, or something like that. My kids aren't doing their homework. Come on, slacker, you can do it. Come on. Yeah, we still talk like that in our house, but we don't use the word sluggard very often. You know, now, sluggard is pretty easy to understand, though, because we understand what a slug is. A slug's this little shellless snail-like creature that gets stopped by a pebble. When a current comes along, it pushes that thing uh, down the, 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 the way. This slimy, snail-like thing is slow. He's lethargic, and he, he doesn't really get anything done. Now, no matter what word you use, there are some steps down the road to, to Slackerville. And the first step is procrastination. Every time a person responds to pressing responsibility with, well, I'll, I'll do it in a minute. I'll do it later. You're heading down that path. When I was a kid, my mom would ask me to do something or help out or clean something up. And I'd say, in a minute, Mom. Or I'll do it later, Mom. Or, Mom, when there's a time out, you know, then I'll do it. Or when my TV show goes to commercial, then I'll do it. And my mom was pretty way too patient with me, way too lenient with me. But my dad, if he heard me say that, he could be on the other end of the world. If he heard me say it, you could hear him rumble through the house, no! Now, At the time, it made me mad when dad would do that. You know, I was frustrated. get angry with him. i am got my show going on. Why would you? But I know now dad was trying to teach me something. He was trying to teach me an important lesson. People who live a life of putting stuff off are foolish. It leads leads to ruin. Ruin in your grades, ruin into marriage, and then the passage we're going to look at today, financial ruin. In Proverbs 6, verse 9, it says, How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, and your knees like a bandit. You know, When we just put it off, I mean today, I'll be honest, I've, been, I've made a commitment. I've spent time with the Lord every day as long as I can remember a little bit of time with the Lord. But I realize that when you start your day with the Lord, your day goes better instead of working the Lord in. And so I made a commitment. I want to spend about an hour, at least an hour, with the Lord every morning. Well, that caused me to have to adjust my schedule. And so I have to get up a little earlier. And here's how I'm doing it. I'm reading Proverbs. And then I'm reading right now a passage in Chronicles, a passage in Corinthians, and a passage in Isaiah. I'm just kind of reading through the Bible kind of in that way, started in those spots and just what I'm doing. But then I spend the rest of my time writing down my prayers. Why do I do that? Because I have trouble closing my eyes and staying awake an hour earlier. So I've just been writing down my prayers and I have a set way that I do that. And I'll write five or six pages to the Lord, just praying to the Lord every morning, just sitting there talking with him. Well, today's January 10th, and I didn't want to blow it just because I was up here. So I came up last night, I set my alarm to get up early, to spend time with the Lord, and I woke up and it was D-A-R-K. And I'd stayed up last night, you know, watching stuff, and we won't go into that. I've been warned. <laughs> but it was dark last night, you know, or this morning when I woke up. And I, I wanted to hit the stew's button. I wanted to stay there. But I knew if I did, I was heading down a path, a path of putting something off that I know is extremely important in my life. And when you put something off before long, you will ignore something. And so uh, the, the, the procrastinator, they, they, they say, ah, in a minute, I'll do it later. Uh, the procrastinator is also full, or the slacker is also full of excuses. You know, imagine a person going to work, and they remember, oh, man, I had this challenging task that I didn't have time to complete the day before, and she has options. She's driving to work. She could, she could pray and say, God, I need the strength. I don't know how I'm going to get this done. I don't have time to get done what I need to do today and what I should have done yesterday. I, I, I need strength. That's one option. She could think of how to get it done. How am I going to get this done? How I, maybe I could skip lunch. Maybe I that's another option. She can determine, I'm going to stay late. I'm going to get it done no matter what it takes. That's another option. But if she's the sluggard, she finds excuses for not doing it. She might even not, She might even call in to work sick, even though she's not. That's the sluggard. The sluggard, listen to what it says. The slacker says, there's a line outside. I'll be killed if I go outside into the public square. Now, that's a pretty good excuse for staying home from work, isn't it? I've always wondered if it's, imagination. Was there really a lion or is that just creativity? You know, uh, uh, it's a pretty creative one if it is an excuse, but maybe there was a lion in the public square. If there is a lion in the public square, the guy, if he's a hard worker, goes on a lion hunt. He doesn't make excuses. Only a sluggard will sit around waiting for somebody else to take care of a problem in their life. Only a slacker will, will sit back and let an unknown threat take away their freedom. There'll always be lines in the streets, guys. Always. There'll always be frightening responsibilities and overwhelming challenges and heartbreaking disappointments, but only a slacker will throw excuse after excuse in the face of life's demands. Think about your own life. Is that you? Do you make excuses? You know, do you? I just can't be disciplined. I'm not able to be faithful. Proverbs warns the path to destruction and disappointment is one filled with and fraught with excuses. The slacker's lazy. He 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 is a lazy man. Proverbs twenty six fifteen says the slacker buries his hands in the bowl and he's too weary to bring it to his mouth. I mean, t- kind of humorous way of putting this. Really, his stomach's rumbling and he's hungry and he knows he should eat. He puts his hand down, but he's oh, I'm just too tired to eat. Now I've never been that tired, you know, but but that is the illustration. Proverbs nineteen twenty four says this. The slacker buries his hand to his bow, but he just won't even bring it to his mouth. Come on, man. You can do this. I might get up and oh, just a little more sleep. You know, it's, it's like a door swinging on a hinge. It just, you know, it just, he, he's not accomplishing what he's supposed to. A slacker knows it all. Proverbs twenty six sixteen. In his own eyes, a slacker, he's wiser than seven men who can answer sensibly. You know, he's just, you know, he, the lazy person is self-centered and he loves himself and he rejects the counsel of others and he lives in this fantasy world. Uh, and, and even though he doesn't do much work, he's, already tell everybody, he's always ready to tell everybody else how they should do their work. The slacker has a sense of entitlement. He doesn't take initiative and he believes he's owed something by somebody else. Now, I I, I worry about our society because I think we've got a lot of people who have an entitled mindset in our society. I worry that that mindset might slip into a Christian's belief that, that that's who they should be as well. The Bible's truth will never change. The slacker is this type of man And it's hard to get through to a lazy man. But Solomon hits the slugger between the eyes. Listen to what he says in in Proverbs 6. He says, go to the ant, you slacker. He kind of hits him between the eyes and says, man, you're not going to listen to me. Go look at a bug. He's smarter than you are. Go to the ant, observe his ways, become wise. he, He doesn't have a leader, administrator, ruler, and yet he prepares his provisions in summer. He gathers his food in harvest. Um, now, most of us aren't too impressed by ants. Yeah, I know there's a few of you who might have one of those colonies or something like that. I don't get that, by the way. But if you have one of those, I mean, good for you. Awesome, great. I can't just sit and watch that for hours, but apparently Solomon could. And he said, Listen, you, you guys who are lazy, you would do well to go watch the ant for a little while because that guy, he, he, he's not lazy. When you're thinking about hard work, you can learn from him. Consider her ways and be wise. The wise man's diligent. You don't have to tell ants to show up at a picnic. They don't take vacation. They don't take it easy in the summer. No, they're always moving. And like the ant, the wise man puts forth consistent, regular effort. The wise man takes initiative. Uh, Proverbs 6, verse 7, listen to what he says about the ant. He doesn't have a leader. He doesn't have an administrator. He doesn't have a ruler. The ant knows this secret. If you have to depend on external motivation to get the job done, you're in trouble. Everybody, that's important. If you don't have an internal drive, you got a huge problem. If you have to depend on a boss cracking the whip, or on an officer flashing the lights, or on a teacher begging you to do your whatever you got a real problem because what are you going to do when nobody's around to tell you what to do let's face it real character is not what's done when somebody's watching real character is what you do when nobody's around The ant's goal is food, and so he works hard. The wise man's goal is noble, the knowledge and love of God. That's the beginning of wisdom. I want God to be pleased with me. And guess whose eyes are roaming the earth at all time? and knows every deed and every thought, every word spoken. He knows us completely, and so I want him to be honored when nobody's looking, and I want to be faithful in my work ethic. The wise man makes plans for, for, for the future. Again, in, in, uh, about the ant in verse 8, he says, It prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest because he knows winter's coming. You know, I thought about an ant this week as I was thinking about this passage. How big can a brain's ant be? I mean, really? You know, I mean, it can't be huge, and yet even he knows he's got to prepare for the future. Wise people don't spend every penny they make. They work while they're able for the day that they might not be able. They plan, and they have a good attitude. The ant doesn't gripe about his job. He just does it. A humans will kick an anthill down. What's the ant do? He builds it again. It's what you got to do. I worry about some of us. Are we grateful for our job? Are we, or do we grumble all day? You know, the wise man can learn to whistle while he works. Proverbs shows this huge difference between the wise and the fool, when it comes to work. And then it tells us this, and this is the key. Those who work hard will be rewarded. It's the book of Proverbs. It's the way life works most of the time. Now, I'm going to take a time out just for a second from my notes. Here, here, here's what a proverb is. This is the way life usually works. It's kind of the law that God has put forth. Are there sometimes exceptions? Sure, there's sometimes exceptions. We live in a fallen world that's broken by sin. Y'all get that? But 99.9% of the time, 95, 98, you put the number on it, whatever. This is how life typically works. So, Are there times that a person can work hard and things get knocked out from under them or their health fails or the economy goes? Absolutely, there's times where exceptions can happen, but most of the time when you work hard, you'll be rewarded. But here's the deal. If you don't, you'll face hardship. That's, that's a universal maxim. If you don't, You'll face hardship. Fourteen passages connect the sluggard and poverty in Proverbs alone. Proverbs 10.4 says, Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Proverbs 14.23 says, There is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to pro- poverty. Proverbs 12.24 says, The hands of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Proverbs twenty one five says, The plans of the diligent certainly lead... The prophet, Proverbs 19, 15, laziness induces deep sleep, and a lazy person will go hungry. Uh, Guys, I'm going to offend some of you here. I know I am, but I'm going to take a chance. I've been here four and a half months. It's time. Okay? (laughs) I think we should take this verse more literally than we do, that a lazy person should go hungry. Um. I think it's wrong to give a person food who won't work. And it's wrong to give a person answers to a test that won't study. You might say, well, that doesn't sound very Christian of you. But when we give to someone who can, we steal their God-given motivation. Note, and this is not me making this up. Listen to what the next scripture says. Proverbs sixteen twenty six says, A worker's appetite works for him. His hunger urges him on. It's that motivation, that internal motivation that God has given when your belly's growling, I need to do something. When you don't have, I need to work. God has given people that. Now, are there people who need a hand up? Absolutely. Are there people who need help out? Absolutely. Are there people who are broken and need our care and love? Absolutely. Are there people who take advantage? Yeah. I was at Edgewood and a man came begging. Um, I thought it was odd because he came in and he looked about like me. I mean, dressed, you know, kind of okay. The stuff wasn't ragging and drove up in a car that was as nice as what I was driving and you know i thought well i don't know what's going on in his life and so you know what i did when he asked for help i helped him that's what we did showed up about two months later said man it's just it's getting worse i need help sat down talked with him prayed with him helped him again third time he came i helped him but i had the youth minister go and get his license plate this was his period about six eight months you know Youth Mister went and got his license plate, and I went to a policeman a friend of mine and said, hey, would you find out anything about this guy if you could? And he said, oh, I already know who you're talking about. <laughs> That's so-and-so. He hits up every church every day. That's just what he does. Next time he came, he comes in. Of course, my attitude's a little different. He comes in and I'm kinda of sitting back listening to him and you know, and I'm not going to give him anything this time. But while he's kinda of telling me his story and why it's rough, that time his smartphone goes off in his pocket. He says, Hang on a second. He grabs his phone and he gets on his phone and when he got off, I said, Friend, if you'd work as hard at a job as you do at begging, you'd be rich. I don't believe there are many guys like that in this church. But there are probably some of you who are like my family. member this holiday who was bragging that he had a job that, that three people were hired to do, but it only took one guy? But they were all on at the same time, and so because of that, they uh, 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 had decided that, that here's what we'll do. We'll find a place to sleep, and two guys can sleep while the other one's working, and we'll just take turns during the night. And he was bragging about it, you know, like he had accomplished something, like he had beat the system and was ahead of the world. And all I could think is, man, I'm ashamed that you're a part of my family. Here's why. Because imagine if you hired somebody to do a job for you, a contractor to fix your house, and you were paying them by an hour, and they decided, hey, I'm going to sleep for two to four hours, and you're not going to know about it. Or you paid them to mow your grass. And they said, you know, I'm going to lay under the tree and sleep for a couple hours so I'll get a little more money from you. How would you feel? You say, that's Old Testament, preacher. That's Old Testament. Is it? Jesus said, treat other people the way you want to be treated. I know I don't want that. And so as Christian workers, we should be the hardest workers that an employer could ever find. I believe... That we have this responsibility to glorify God in all of our actions, including our work ethic. Uh, Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, in word or in deed. We don't just come to church and sing about Jesus. We go out and we live like Jesus and we treat our employer the way that we want to be treated. And we treat our teacher the way that we want to be treated. And we treat our classmates the way we want to be treated because we're different people in Christ. Now listen, some people are going to confuse what I say today and say... Man, he's saying he's all about work and he's not about grace. I'm all about grace. I can't earn my way to God. I can't do anything to be right with God. I'm such a sinner. I'm so fallen. I'm so broken. I need God to pick me up. But now that God has picked me up and has put his spirit inside of me, shouldn't that be evidenced in any change? It should be evidenced by the way that we live our life. And Christians should be the first group of people that employers are seeking to hire. Companies should be beating our door down saying, man, pastor, do you have anybody there? Because your guys are awesome. That that's, should be. I, I had a friend who was a CFO at a place that made headliners in cars. And about a month, well, about three months before I took the job for the Kentucky Baptist Convention, he came to me and he said, man, I got this really important job in in, in my office. It's a step kind of, two steps below my level, but it's really important, and I need a good guy. And I said, man, I got a guy who's looking for a job. I said, kind of what's it pay? I know where he's at. He's driving an hour and 40 minutes, one way to work each day. He's got two little girls. He's killing himself. He's never seeing them. He was just in my office crying this week, wanting to find something to where he could spend more time with his family. And he said, he said, well, yeah, tell him send his resume because he told me how much he made. And I said, ah, I think that would work for him probably. And it was only about four minutes from his house where he'd be working. And, and I said, yeah, tell him send me his resume. And he sent, got his resume next week. He saw me and he said, Nick, he said, man, you guys' resumes not even close to what I'm looking for. And I, I need some experience. And I said, man, I promise you, you give this guy three months, he'll be the best employee you ever have ever. I promise you. Take a chance on him. Well, he did, and so that's when I decided I needed to move because it might not work out. No, (laughs) no, no. He took a chance on the guy. I was back in December, December 3rd. I was in Hopkinsville, and I went out to the golf course there. It was about 65 degrees, and December is awesome. Went out and decided to play golf with some of my friends. He was out there, uh, and he said, Nick, I want to tell you, it's the best worker I've ever hired. And that ought to be the testimony to every pastor. Man, I don't know what y'all do with those folks down there who say they read the Word of God and they love Jesus, but those guys work. That ought to be natural. God's people should be that way, but what about you? Are you a hard worker? Do you, bet, do, you do your best at school? You know, most of you you probably have a great work ethic in most areas of your life. And as I've been preaching, you're probably checking out on me saying, Dude, I don't need to hear this. I work 170 hours, or it's not even that many in a week. You know, I, I don't need to listen to this. I'm a workaholic. I don't need to hear this. Hear me closely. Some of you here may work hard in some areas of your life, and you completely neglect others. I call this selective sluggardness. An athlete you know, will have ripped abs and incredible skill and be just filled with knowledge about his sport. But he doesn't study. 90% of his life he's given everything he's got, but that 10, a dad who sets sales records at work fails to meet the needs of his wife or kids or a mom who does her work and then the housework on top of that and she's so faithful to all that but she neglects her relationship with God or a person who's always running and doing for others neglects their health taking time to make sure they're healthy 90% of life they get right but have you ever thought about the 10%? Don't be a part of the 90% club because the 10% might kill you. Ask a pastor, a friend of mine who gave his life and gave his life and gave his life to the church so much that he neglected his wife and she divorced him. 10% will kill you. Or you let your health fail and you're not there for your grandkids to pour into their life. Or you don't, neglect, you don't have the right relationships with your family members. And then when they're older and you wish you had, they're bitter and you live empty. What areas do you need to work in real quickly? Number one, your relationships. I know the weird thing about relationships is you can't completely control them. You know, a person either likes you or they don't. They respond to your love or they don't. They appreciate you or they don't. But there's a part of every relationship that's your job. The Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 18, um, as far as it's up to you, you need to live at peace with all men. You know, you might only control 5% of a relationship, but you control that for 5%. Work hard on it. Work hard in your vocation. I pray that you'll work hard at your place of employment. If you're miserable, it's okay to look elsewhere. God doesn't condemn you to working in that one place for the rest of your life. It's okay to try something different. But, but while you're there and taking a paycheck, earn it. Your health. The Bible says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He lives in you. You received him from God. And your body's not your own, by the way. You were bought with a price. The, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Listen, I'm redeemed. I'm here today standing before you because I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I don't have anything else besides that. That's what I have. I'm not here because I've got great work ethic. I'm not here because I'm smarter than other people. I'm here because Christ paid the price for my sin. His blood covered my sin. He made me a new creation. The resurrection gives me hope that there is eternal life and power to live in this life through his spirit that he's placed within me. That's why I'm here. That's what I'm doing. He earned my devotion. I was bought with a price. He has earned my best. Your finances. Laziness in finances, getting upside down, not budgeting, not preparing for a rainy day can kill your witness and your ability to enjoy life. Some of you are upside down now, and you say, what do you do? You work hard by living as meager and and tight as you can until the Lord gives a better day. That's what you do. What if you have a whole bunch? Well, I pray that you would continue to be faithful in your finances and use them for the Lord's glory. He's given you what you have. Use it for his glory. And then finally, I would tell you to work hard in your relationship with God. The Bible tells us to seek the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah 55. It tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Bible says to study, to show yourself approved as a workman who needs not be ashamed. The Bible says work out your faith in fear and in trembling. And so my question for you today is, are you investing in your spiritual health? I've challenged you to read Proverbs this month. And so I'm going to ask you, Have you? Some of you might say, yeah, I have. Some of you say, no, but I read other stuff. Fine, I'm not your your Holy Spirit that tells you what you have to read and don't read. But some of you say, well, I just don't have time, but my goodness, I can post something. I can post a a stupid sticker on Facebook and get 37 likes in 25 minutes. And I'm not even, I, I, I like social media stuff. It's kind of fun to keep up with people. That's fine. But don't tell me you don't have time for the Word of God. But you have time to be completely connected. Um, I don't understand the Bible. Well, you won't understand it if you don't read it. (laughs) I can guarantee you that. Um, Now, don't misunderstand me, and I think I've made this clear today. Hard work is the evidence of a person who's right with God, but you can't work hard enough to get right with God. We work hard because He's changed us, but we can't change ourselves. Y'all understand that? It takes God to help us to or to help us to make us right with Him, and then He allows us then to live in a way that brings Him glory. See, you might be here today, and you might be saying, well, I'm trying to do all those things. Here's the problem. Hard work without God is usually for your own glory and your own good. You you understand there'll come a day when your glory will completely fade, and you'll have spent your life on something that's worth nothing. But if you are working hard because God has done something in your life, that thing, that motivation, that drive that keeps driving gets sweeter as the days go by. It doesn't fade. We have a hope that is imperishable, undefiled, and does not fade away. And it's reserved in heaven. And we press on until that day. So believers in Jesus Christ... I encourage you, while you're here on this earth, in those few years that the Lord gives you, 70 years, and if by reason of strength, 80 or more, do whatever you do for the glory of your Lord. And that includes work hard. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. God, I pray that you were honored by it. and Lord, I pray that you would use it to, uh, to challenge our hearts and lives. Lord, now as we enter into this time of invitation, I pray, God, that you would draw people to your grace. Uh, And, Father God, that you will do that thing within us of conviction where we have fallen short. And then, Lord, I love how you couple conviction with hope, that there's hope of change, real change. God, I pray that you will bring that type of change in our life and in the lives of everyone. Who, who is called by your name, help us to be diligent until Jesus comes. And it's in his name I pray.